Take your Bibles out, turn with me to John chapter 4, talking about worship. We're titling this series, If If Any Man Be a Worshipper of God. Amen. Emphasizing that word, if, if any man be a worshiper of God, if you will, if you will. During our worship time this morning, how many of you sensed a new level of worship? Amen. And uh, boy, it opened up heaven. I'm just excited. John chapter 4 we're familiar with this, so I'm just going to read a couple of verses. This is verses 23 and 24. Jesus is talking to the woman at the well of Samaria. And in talking to her, she asked a question about worship when she realized he was a prophet of God because he said something to her about her life that was information that nobody would have known except God. And it just, you know, she told later, she said to somebody later in the chapter, she said, he told me everything I've ever did. And that's the way you feel when God speaks to you or reads your mail, like God's just opened up your life, you know. And they were talking about worship, and we're going to pick up with that in the 23rd verse. Look at it in your version of the Bible. It says, but the hour cometh, Jesus said, the hour's coming and now is when the true worshipers. Now, two weeks ago, we talked about true worshipers. But underline that because I want you to think about that, true worshipers. We're going to see that throughout the Bible. I've never seen this phrase, true worshipers, connected as much as I've seen in the last week true worshipers and through other scriptures. Jesus said there's coming a time and now is when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father, underline this if you haven't underlined this last part of the verse, for the Father seeketh. I want to show you something about that in just a minute that I saw yesterday, Brother Gary, that I've never seen before in my life about God seeking. God seeks people like this to worship Him. Remember that. Hold on to that thought. God is a spirit, Jesus said, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. Or your worship has to hit a spiritual level or you'll never make contact with God, is what he's saying. So if you're going to worship, you must worship him in spirit and in truth. There was a time when David was being chased, King David, he wasn't king at the time, but he was being chased by Saul. And do you remember what Saul was trying to do? He was trying to give him something, wasn't it? Some money or something he had... Anybody remember? What? I hear two of you. Saul wanted him dead. Saul was trying to kill him, and Saul had set traps for him. In this case, he had set several traps for him, and Saul's men ended up falling, and Saul himself literally ended up falling in the same trap that they had laid for David. And David was standing there saying, look what God did to deliver me. Look on the screen and see this, what he said about it in Psalm 57, verse 7. This is reading in the New Living Testament. As soon as you jot that reference down, look up here. David said, after he realized that Saul had fallen in the trap, that was in the verse prior, verse 6. Then David said, now, he said, my heart is confident in you, O God. My heart is confident. No wonder I can sing your praises. In other words, it's no wonder that I'm able to sing your praises now when I look at what you've done for me. You can see it better in the Passion Translation. Look at the screen. The Passion Translation, David said, now that I've seen you do what you've done, now I can sing with passion your wonderful praises. What do you mean by that? Well, in 1991, summer of 1991, I was cutting grass where we lived in a double-wide trailer in Upton Trailer Park. Sarah was just a baby, and she was not quite a year old, and, and Avril was a you know, year and a half or so. And, and I was cutting grass that day, and I, I remember exactly, I could take you exactly in the place where I was in the yard. I was pulling my Yazoo mower backwards. It didn't have a self-propelled at all. And I was pulling it backwards, you know, getting that, you know how you, you'd cut back and forth, you know, and push mower. Well, y'all, okay. And I was pulling it back like this, and I was just pulling like this, and the Lord said to me, he said, James. I said, yes, sir. He said, I earn my worship. I said, well, sir, he said, I deserve my worship. Yeah. 
I earn my worship. I deserve my worship. Well, we know that because we say it like this. He's worthy of worship. But this is what David's bringing out in this verse. He's saying, now I can praise you that I've seen what you've done. God does things that deserves or is deserving of yes. worship. Yes, amen. So, so anytime we withhold worship, we're not recognizing yes. his deserving or acknowledging the level of deserving that God is on. And so I never will forget that moment when the Lord said, I deserve my worship. Now, there's a great mystery. Now, we've been talking for three weeks, but listen to this. There's a great mystery about worship. And the mystery is, is that God, who requires worship, doesn't need it. That's a mystery. He requires worship, but He doesn't need it. We do. Right. Amen. That's right. God looks at worship, a moment of worship. Now, I'm not talking, we do corporate worship in the church, private worship at home, in the car, wherever you are. So we're talking about both of those kind of worships. But God receives worship and looks at worship as a great exchange. It's a moment of exchange where the underdog, you and I, come to the one that doesn't need anything. Wow, that's powerful. He just loves us. Right, amen. And we come to Him and we get everything. Right, amen. So when we come to Him in worship, we don't worship till God changes. Don't ever think your worship's going to change God right. to do something. Right. Your worship amen. never changes God, yes. but your worship changes you completely. Yes. The more we worship, because here's what's happening. The, the more you worship, the closer you're drawing into the presence of God. And the more you draw into the presence, you're changed into the very image of the one you're worshiping. Now, the scripture brings that out, but I want us to see that again today. So we, we understand that God has an idea about worship. Our worship, no, write that down if you didn't. Our worship doesn't change Him because He doesn't need changing, of course. Our worship, our true worship, causes us to change. And we change into His very image. Now, are you familiar with the scripture that talks about us being changed or transformed? Yes. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Be ye transformed. Now, notice the verse, King James, I think it is, the first word says, and be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind to the Word. Well, the verse we usually leave out before we talk about being transformed or changed or metamorphosized into something better, when of course we're talking about being changed into His image as we meditate the Word. But is that talking about worship? Well, look at the first verse up on the screen, Romans 12, 1. This is what comes earlier. Paul said, I beseech you or beg you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your, notice the last phrase, and I underlined it for you, which is your reasonable service. But one translation said, it's the least you can do. Now, of course, go back to this. Look at look in the middle of the verse. It says, "Look at the, consider the mercies of God he's talking about. Mm-hmm. Look how good God's been to you. Right. Look at yeah. the traps the devil's laid for you and God delivered you from. Yes. Look at the times God's helped you. And by those mercies, from that, present your body as a living sacrifice. Amen. Well, I know that's talking about worship just by looking at the fact that he says, give yourself totally to God. That's what worship is. Remember, we talked about Abraham. Abraham held nothing back. That's why he would say, okay, I'll I'll give my son to you. If that's what you want, I'm not going to withhold anything from you. That's what real worship is. Well, here he says, so you present your body as a living sacrifice. In other words, give him your entirety. Give God everything that you are, everything that you even want to be, give to God, and then watch the exchange. But is that really worship? I think it is. But look at that phrase again at the end of the verse, reasonable worship, reasonable service. Well, the word surface is also a clue. Service is a clue that this is talking about worship. But watch this in the CSB version. 
He says, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Amen. Wow. It's good. Amen. Jesus said, wow. I'm looking for true worshipers. Wow. God seeks true worshipers. Yes. That means you can have worship that doesn't reach the level of true worship. Mm. Yes. You can Amen. go through the motions, but he said, this is true worship is when you give yourself to God. And that means he could ask anything and you wouldn't hold it back. Not because he wants you to be at a loss, but because you trust him that if he's asking for something, he's trying to get something to you. Amen. That's right. Amen. And then look at the easy to read version. So give yourself to him considering what he has done. It is only right that you should worship him in this way. That's good. Amen. So all this is powerful worship. Another scripture, look at Hebrews chapter 12 just for a moment. I'm, I, this is just one I'm interjecting here. don't have it in the notes, but the Lord spoke this to me this morning. I want you to look at this. It might speak to somebody. Hebrews chapter 12 is the faith chapter. And this is a quote concerning one of the faith men, not Abraham, not Isaac, but Jacob, the grandson of Abraham. Jacob, when he got old, became old, I think he was about 140 years of age, he blessed his grandsons and he did it in a moment of worship. He transferred, think about this, he transferred a blessing that Jehovah had put on him. He transferred it to Joseph's two sons in his old age, and the Bible calls that worship. Look at it in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 12, uh, 22, excuse me. By faith, uh, excuse me, 21. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, this is in his last day, his last breath, by faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed both the sons of Joseph and worshipped, leaning upon the top of his staff. So even dying and weak, holding on to a staff perhaps to keep him up, I don't know that, but that's what it appears to be, holding on to his staff in the midst of that physical moment, he worshipped. And from that worship, he could transfer a blessing that would affect his grandsons wow, for the rest of the life or we keep the generation, the blessing going wow. from generation to generation Amen. simply by his worship Amen. and so Amen. what's happening when you and I worship is something to think about Amen. to God I want to say that again, to God worship is an exchange, you giving him his due in worship what is your, his due you're all, you're everything this verse says wow. giving him your everything that you are everything you hope to be, and then the exchange is Him giving you everything He is Amen. by being changed or conformed to His image. Amen. Now keep that in mind as we look at these scriptures because we're going to see something powerful. Giving God His due in worship so that He can give you what He created you to be. Amen. The exchange. Wigglesworth had a motto about ministry. He summed up ministry like this. He said, if you want to minister to people, he said, give God His due in worship then give the people what they need in ministry. Wow. And I got to thinking about that last night with these thoughts in mind. You can't give the people what they need in ministry until you've given God His due in worship. Giving God His due in worship is what enables you and anoints you to now give the people what they need in ministry. So if you want to help people, I had a, had a friend text me this morning. I, I preached to her a little bit on the phone Friday. And it was yesterday, Saturday, and she said, oh, that sermon you preached to me on the phone yesterday, so that just fired me up and so forth and so on. And she said, i got to take this message to everybody I run into. She lives off in Arab, Alabama. And she said, i got to take this to all the hurting, all the downtrodden. You know, she was just all excited. And then, then she said this. She, oh, I wish I could just read the text to you because her level of enthusiasm blessed me. Mm-hmm. 
And it would bless me if we could get half of that. But the idea is she was so fired up and she said, I've got to take this and I've got to give it to people that need it. Now, what what we talked about yesterday changed her and so she's got to take it to others. Well, see, you're anointed to do that. You're enabled to do that the more time you spend in the presence of God. Moses' anointing came from his time in the presence. You don't get those results without him on you. Keep that in mind because I'm building to something. So with that in mind, let's go back to the garden where we were at last week. Turn to Genesis right quick. Genesis chapter 2 and 3. We're going to look at some things. Are you happy to be here today? Amen. Genesis 2. Now, now, I'm supposing that you were here last week when we found out how that God created Adam and then God planted a garden. Better translation than planted because it's not just the crops that he brought from heaven, but God built an a garden. God built a dwelling place for him and Adam to hang out. I want you to start seeing the garden like that. Garden started. Here, here it is. God made a man that he fell in love with just like you having a baby. And you having that baby and you just fall in love with it, even a grandchild. Just, how many of you know you just, oh, grandchildren. Oh, they're everything people say they are and more. And so you're all excited about a child or a grandchild and then you start saying, oh, this is a place for me and you to have time. And if you're a wealthy person, you start building that place to be a habitation for you and the child that you love. Right. Amen. Now, this is the way that God did the garden. I, I don't know why we just think God put a garden down there, you know, planted some seeds so Adam could survive. No, no, it wasn't about Adam surviving. What it was about was God and Adam having a hangout place. Yes. Amen. This is where you and I will, as we learned last week, what worship really is, is walk and talk. Yes. Walk with God, talk with God. God tells his stories. Yes. The more That's time right. you walk. But see, Adam was the one, and I told you this last week, and I couldn't prove it from the Bible, but I come back today with ammunition. <laughs> Adam's responsibility was to worship, which would draw, draw the presence of God in. Amen. Now, what, what, let's, let's look at these verses that we read last week. I'm going to hit them real quickly. This is Genesis chapter 2. Look at 7 and 8. It says, And the Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground. Now, you don't get excited when you read that, but to God, that's his baby announcement. Yes. Amen. That's good. Amen. Amen. At this point, God's passing out bubblegum cigars. <laughs> I got Adam. Look at this you got to think of it like that. Verse 7, The Lord God formed man out of the dust of the earth, and then he breathed breath into the nostrils, the breath of life, and man became what? A living soul. And then the very next verse says, And the Lord God planted, or built might be a better, because it's more than just planted. Because I told you last week, he didn't just plant crops, he planted gold. He made this little area the most luxurious, the most elaborate place. He kept bringing everything from heaven to make this a beautiful spot because this is where me and my baby, Adam, of course, Adam was a man, I understand that, but this is where we're going to hang out together. This is going to walk and talk. And, and it's like this. God says, Adam, anytime you call me, I'll come. Yes. Now, how did he call him? We found out last week. He called through worship. As he began to worship God, it created the moment called the cool of the day. Yes. Now watch this. Go over to chapter 2 and let's see this. Chapter 3, rather. Chapter 3 and let's see it. It says, this is after they sinned. It says, the eyes, verse 7 says, the eyes of them both were open and they knew that they were naked because they had lost the glory that covered them. Right. 
And they sewed fig leaves together, made themselves aprons, and then they heard. Now watch verse 8 because we learned something in verse 8. They heard the voice of the Lord God walking. Just like he always did. God always wanted to come and walk. They came walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam hid his wife, and, and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees in the garden that God had brought and planted. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where are you? And he said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid, Adam said, because I was naked and I hid myself. And the Lord said, Who told you that you was naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree and done the thing I told you not to do? Go back to chapter 2. After God planted the garden, made the garden, in verse 8, God planted the garden eastward in Eden. Then look at verse 15. And the Lord God took man, the man he made, put him into the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. But back in chapter 3, he says, God came in the cool of the day. Now, I gave you this, but I want you to write down some details about it today. That word cool, the cool of the day, if you look it up, actually means breeze. So we translate it, God came during the cool breeze of the day. And it looks so innocent, like, oh, he's the nice part of the day, oh, God's going to come walk with it. But that word cool breeze is the same word as breath or spirit. So the way it should have been translated is that God would come and hang out in the garden he built with the man he created and have these moments of intimacy whenever Adam chose it to be a moment of spirit. See, Adam was busy around doing natural things in the garden, but anytime he turned it into the spirit by worship, God would come in response to that because he made it the cool of the day. He made it the wind of the day. He made it the spirit moment, and God would show up in those spirit moments and say, did you call me? (laughs) Yeah, I thought I heard you call. Yeah, well, here I am. Let's hang out together. Let's walk and talk. Let's walk and talk because you're created for me and I'm created for you. Let me give you some things. You know what he was sharing? He was sharing everything that Adam would need to know. Now, what happened was that even Adam got a little bit away and didn't call one day. And they spent some time and the devil came. And the devil took Eve aside and began to give her some information. Now, where was Eve and Adam's information always supposed to come with? Walking and talking with God. Always supposed to walk and talk with God. God would relate anything that Adam needed to know. And now she's listening to the devil. And the devil comes in the form of that serpent and says, hey, you know, did God say this? Well, that ain't the way it's going to be. God's lied to you. Actually, God's keeping back something from you. God's withholding certain things that he's, that he is and what he has. He's not giving you him himself. And if you'll eat of that tree, you'll get what he's holding back from you. And the Bible says that she looked at the fruit. It was good, to, you know, pleasing to the eyes and it was, you know, good to the taste. So she ate it. She turned and gave it to Adam, which meant he was right there with her. If they had wanted the information that they thought that was withholding, what they should have done is the same thing you and I should do anytime the devil messes with us. Eve should have said, no, devil, you just leave me alone a minute. Now, this bothered me and said, "Uh, uh, Adam, let's call God. Oh, Jehovah, we worship you. You're the God that created this garden. And God says, you called? Yeah, come here. Lord, I want to talk to you. I can just see Eve. Now, I got this off somebody else. I thought this was powerful the way you said it. Eve could have said something like this. If she'd have done the right thing, she could have said, now, Jehovah, daddy, whatever she called him, daddy, um, I've been having these thoughts that maybe you're not telling me everything like you should. And I need you to walk and talk with me and reassure me of who I am and who you created me to be and what you're doing for me. Eventually, at one of those walks, everything that Adam and Eve learned from eating the tree of knowledge of good and evil, they would have learned from God a different way. That's right. Amen. There wasn't anything God was withholding from them. 
he was just keeping them from the way that they would learn it because they, God knew that once they saw and once they tasted, they could never unsee right. and they could never untaste Amen. what they'd gotten into. All knowledge was to be learned in walking, oh, talking good. with God. Walkie-talkie oh, time. I, I'm on walkie-talkie time with God is yes. what they're supposed to do. Had she withdrawn and said, let me just go back and talk to God because I'm having these temptations that maybe you're not telling me things. Then she wouldn't have given in to the lust. Wow. And you and I would still be in the garden. Good. Amen. Wow. But here's an interesting thing. I want you to see this. Adam's job was to decide. Now, he could have done this 24 hours a day. Mm -hmm. I want you, God, this is spirit. Spirit time. <laughs> oh, y'all, come on. Come on. What do you mean? Hammer time. <laughs> okay, we won't go there. God time. And he could have called. Yes. Worship, worship, worship. And God, yes. show up. You call yes. me. But you know what? One day, God didn't get a call from Adam. Yeah, that's something's right. weird about it. Adam and Eve, they're not calling. So you know what God did? He said, hello, Adam. What was God doing? He called Adam. Yes. See, I don't just go for months and months and say, you know, my children hadn't called me and I'm not hearing from Chris. Right. I'm, I'm going to call her. Right. See, what's going on? Hey, I hadn't heard from you. Why did God come in that garden when Adam didn't call? What was he doing? Just what Jesus said we read a moment ago. He was seeking Somebody to worship him. Uh, wow. Adam, where are you? Oh. Adam said, I'm hiding. I'm afraid. Why? Because we saw that we were naked. Now, that simply means they lost their glory. Right. It doesn't mean that they were ashamed of their bodies. What it meant was that they had been clothed in glory, and they lost the glory right. of God. Amen. And he said, I was naked. I was naked. And the first thing God said to him, who told you you was naked? Mm. You know what he meant? Who you've been walking and That's talking right. with. Yeah. You're supposed to be walking and talking with me. Amen. And who, you've been talking and walking with somebody else because you got some information that was wrong. This is where we are today. Wow. We've got to get to this place. Now, go back to Genesis 2 and look at verse 15. And let's see what Adam's job really was in that garden. God had given him an assignment. It's Adam's choice how often he walked and talked with God. It was up to him. But, boy, if you left God uncalled, God would call back. Worshipped, and God came. Spirit of the day. Because that place, what we call the garden, was a sanctuary. Right. A place of God's delight. Right. Now look at this 15th verse. And the Lord God took the man, put him into the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. Mm -hmm. That's interesting, two words. Dress it and keep it. We've got from that. Now, now, see, I'm backing up now before they sinned, right? Okay. We know what happened when they sinned. Right. Let's back up now. His job was to address it and keep it. That's a little blind because it gives us the idea. And when you look at most translation, it says God put him in there to slave in the garden. God put him, put him in there to till. Well, the Bible makes it clear there was no tilling until after they sinned. Yeah. You know, toiling. Right. That came from the curse. Adam just worshipped God, and God kept the garden where it was supposed to be. When, God, when Adam spoke, the, just like God, the borders of the garden grew or expanded. More things come. The, actually, what was happening, the more, oh, Lord Jesus, can I say this now? The more, the more worship that Adam and Eve would give in the garden, the more God would come, and the more he'd come, he'd bring things from heaven with him. Come on. Amen. You know, I mean, I, I know this is just gardener translation, but he'd come and say, look, I brought some pillows. <laughs> Uh, this was on a couch I have in heaven, and I just want to make this out. Well, now, don't, get, don't look at me that way. The Bible says God has a footstool. Right, amen. And so he'd come, and he said, oh, I brought something else. Hey, I brought a lamp. 
I brought some gold. I'm going to sprinkle some other. This is so nice. Oh, you called again. Look, I brought something with me when I came. And so the garden kept being embellished. The word there in Genesis 2.15 where it says he was to dress it and keep it. Write these two words down. In the literal Hebrew translation, it says his job was not to dress it and keep it till and all that. In that sense, it was to embellish it and to ennoble it. To embellish means to make something bigger. He's, he was actually supposed to make the garden bigger with his times of worship when God would come and bring more from heaven. Okay. He was to ennoble it or make it more noble. In other words, every time he worshiped would draw God and every time God would come, it yes. would become more magnificent Ooh, of a place yes. than it was Ooh, amen. before. Amen. But now how did he make it? How did he make these opportunities for God to come? Well, he, I say he had to worship and he brought God in last night. I said, Lord, you've got to show me this somewhere. I keep saying Adam had to worship to get your presence to come. Because, you, you know, he lived in heaven. He, Adam lived on earth. And you wanted the combination. But how did you? It had to be that form of worship. Mm -hmm. So I looked it up last night in the scripture. Listen, are you ready for this? In the, in the original text. In the Hebrew, the word there where it says to dress it. That we translate cultivate. Most, most translations say cultivate, till, or toil, or slave the ground. The Hebrew word actually means to perform acts of worship. Wow. Wow. So the King James says, serve. You know, sometimes, not King James, but some translations say to serve, to dress and keep it, or to serve in the garden. Well, the word serve is worship. So it actually means, it actually translates that he was to perform, his job was, his assignment was in the Garden of Eden is to perform acts of worship. Why? Because if he performed acts of worship, God came and God made it bigger and better than it was yes, before. Yes, yes, Now, when I saw that, I said, okay, Lord, then there's got to be some kind of scripture to bring more glory in. And, of course, God reminded me. Look at the screen on this one right here. This is Isaiah 60. Look at the last part that I've got underlined. God said, I will make the place of my feet glorious. Wow. In other words, God says, look at just the last phrase I've underlined. I will go back and read the whole thing in a minute. But he says, I will make the place I walk where my feet is, whoever I walk with. Yes is going to become a more glorious oh, place yes. the more times that I come in. Praise God. Woo! That's awesome. Come on. I do not know why you're not amen in that. Amen. So the more time I come in, I make it more glorious. So God says, and this is what he's saying, Isaiah 60. Now this is what he's saying to Israel. And this is the church. We take this as one of our great chapters that we stand on Isaiah 60 all the time, that God would make the place of his feet glorious. In fact, look at the whole verse. He says, the glory of Lebanon shall come unto thee. One translation, I actually had the message and I didn't, ended up not bringing it because of time. I thought I'm going to cut back a little bit because we'll be too late today. But it actually says, I will bring the greatest trees from Lebanon. Mm, yes. He said, the glory of Lebanon will come unto thee, the fir tree, the pine tree, the box tree. These are plants. Mm -hmm. yes. Firs, pines, box shrubs. God says, the, look, he said, when you start worshiping me and start bringing my presence in, my presence will come with all these provisions and will make the place of my feet where I walk more glorious yes. than it was Amen. before. What has that got to do with me and you? Listen, if you take the car that you're driving right now and say, God, this is going to be mine and your habitation. I'm going to make it a place of worship. It's not going to be a place of complaining. I'm not going to listen to secular radio. I'm not going to be doing other things. This is going to be my place of worship. And God's saying, you saying you want me to ride in the car with you? Oh, yeah, Lord, I want you in the car with me all the way to work. I'm going to worship you. And God's going to be sitting there with you every morning going to work. And he's going to say, you know what? We need a better ride. <laughs> Man, you really, th these times together are good, but you know, this seat's horrible. God's going to say, I'm going to make the place that you're, you choose to praise me in the car, well, I'm going to get you a more glorious car. Come on, praise 
If you start praising me in the house, God's saying, you want me in the house? Yeah, Lord, I'm bringing you in the house right now. We're not watching that crazy movie. We're going to put on something else. We're going to worship you. We're going to bring it in. God said, I'm hanging out. I like this, but your, your bed. This bed's not good. We got to get a better bed. In fact, there's not a room. We got we to, me and you, God's talking. Me and you got to get some running room, kid. We got to get a bigger house. Come on, amen. Y'all didn't hear that. God said, I will make the place of my feet wherever I walk and talk as a more glorious thing. Yes, If we just worship him. So when Adam didn't call, God called him. And that's the fulfillment of Jesus, what we read, first of all, John 4, where Jesus said, the Father seeks such. Adam was supposed to be seeking God, but when he didn't, God made sure he sought Adam. Say amen if you can see that. So God seeks worshipers. And he said to him, who you been walking and talking with? Spend your time walking and talking with me. In fact, look at this scripture on the screen, Jeremiah 33, 3. See, God gives us scriptures like this throughout the whole Bible to do what Adam was supposed to be doing. For example, God says, and I underline, call unto me. Mm. Give me a ring. Dial me up, God says. Call me up. How do we do that? Well, we know now that's worship. Mm -hmm. He says, call me and I will answer you. You'll never get my answering machine. You'll never, be, you'll never hear God say, I'm sorry, I'm away from the throne right now, but if you'll leave your name and number, I'll get back with you. And just, right. I mean, have you know God's not going to do you that way. Amen. Look at this. Call unto me and I'll answer you and I'll show you. I'll walk and talk with you. Mm-hmm. What, I'll show you great things which thou knowest not. I love the voice translation on this. Watch this. He said, call to me, worship, and I will answer you, presence. Yes. You get that? Oh, yes. You call in worship, I'll show up in presence, yes. and I will tell you of great things, things beyond what you can imagine. Mm-hmm. Yes, Things God. you could not have never known. Woo, praise God. Amen. Everything about the tree that Adam and Eve thought they were missing out on, they could have learned from God right. without Amen. the sin and transgression. Right. Amen. I'll show you things that you've not known. Praise All you got to do is Amen. keep walking with me. All this is in response to worship. All this comes just in, when you're a true worshiper, God says, I'm going to respond to true worshipers. Now, very quickly, because time's gone. Y'all give me just a few minutes? Yes. Amen. Why the rest of it? Does that mean y'all are leaving? <laughs> Amen. Now, watch, I'm going to do this really quick, but the Lord gave me this assignment. I want to answer very quickly before we go home, why should we become demonstrative in our worship? Last week, we talked about the lifting of hands, and boy, we, we lifted hands more freely today because we had chapter and verse behind it, didn't we? Say amen to that. Amen. So why should we become demonstrative? In other words, why should we show feelings of emotion or affection when we worship? Well, now, you don't have to be told to show emotions when it's your baby or your grandchild. I I get tickled. I do the same thing. You know, I'm a pretty dignified person when I'm in town. But if my grandchildren come up, I'm, I'm a frivolous little guy. These frivolous moments that you would have with a child or a grandchild, and I, I've decided now, you, the older you get and the younger they are, the more frivolous you become. <laughs> How many of you know, I'm telling the truth, the older you get, you start losing some of your <laughs> inhibitions, is I guess what I was thinking about, and you just don't care anymore. It's like, why do you act like that? That's my grandson, my grandbaby, right? Well, this is, you got to realize, this is the attitude that Father has all yes. the time. And so why should we be demonstrative in our worship and it's the answer to that is literally because he's demonstrative in his response yes. to us Woo. yes amen amen do you do you think god comes in to you like this hello how's your day hope you don't go to hell today hope everything's working out all right you know god's not like that 
But we think he is, so we try to be dignified back. It's all cool, God. Talk to me. Can I show you some scripture that will change your mind on that? So how can we be more... I know a lot of people don't like it because if you mention emotion, immediately people begin to question, well, what's too much emotion? I think, I think our first concern needs to be what's not enough emotion because we're created as emotional people. Now, I mentioned a little bit of this Wednesday night, but have you ever noticed, I mean, if you have a relationship without some emotion to it, it's not much of a relationship. In fact, if you see a husband and wife that have no emotion, no affection and no emotion to the relationship, right. then you and I first would judge that and say, you know, they don't have a very good relationship mm-hmm. because we're created to be emotional That's people. Right. Amen. Well, what about, I'm afraid of being overboard, brother. Like that, most of you, I, I've not seen you get too dangerously close to that. <laughs> right? But I, and I'm not, trying to, I'm not trying to decide if we're too much or not. I, I really don't even want to do that. I, what I want to do is I want to show you what emotion God's showing over right. you Amen. and how you should respond. Amen. Now, I mentioned Amen. last week, and I, I'm going to do it again right quick. If somebody comes up to you, and, and, and I hadn't seen Carlton in a long time. Like Carlton showed up the other day to come spend the summer because he's been living in Arizona going to school. And when I see him, did you say, well, there's Carlton. I hadn't seen him since Christmas. Hey, dude, how's it going? You know, or or what, what? I don't know. Maybe you did that. And I'm sure he took note if you did. But I'm more like this, Carlton, man, you know, where are you going? And now, wait, wait, now watch this. Now, watch me, watch me. See, I'm doing, I'm, I've got, see, this is my response. Now, what's his response to that? Hey, Brother James, glad to see you. No, I mean, it, it becomes, see, he matches that. Hey, man, how are you doing? Good to see you. Pickpocketed him. All right, got some money. All right, how, the response is the same. So if somebody comes up, just Sam, good to see you. And, and to hand out, if you, you respond with that hand, if you don't, yes. it becomes a very awkward moment. Yes. And, and if I can show you scripturally how God is looking at you every time that you're willing to call him. Mm. Wow. Mm-hmm. Good. Mm-hmm. Good. We would you, you kind of play with me a little bit that yes. maybe we should respond Amen. in kind? Yes. That's right. Amen. Ooh, amen. If he's like, hey, we should be like, hey. Oh, that's right. <laughs> right? Come on now. Yes, amen. All right, you're, you're with me, and I ain't got the time to keep pushing that. So, so the truth is our affections require some emotion in it. it. It actually has to. But look at this. One thing I noticed last night, I was thinking about this. In the Old Testament, there's seven national feasts for the Jewish people. There's seven national feasts and one national fast. Sounds to me like God sort of leans towards celebration. And in their celebration, of course, we know this. I'm talking about from studying the Old Testament. They operated in singing, playing, shouting for joy, and dancing. Wow. And I want to pick on one of those because we talk about singing. I'm going to show you a little bit about it. But I want to show you real quick a little bit about dancing. Amen. 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 I know some of y'all say, I should have stayed home today. <laughs> no, I mean, don't you want to know, since it's in the Spirit and we yes. can't see God, don't you want to know how He's responding yes. so we can... Respond in kind. I mean, we want to do that, so we want to know. All right, so why respond to God in song, for example? Well, because he, the Bible says that he's singing over you. This is one of the reasons you and I should always break into a song of worship and praise, and especially when we come in corporate anointing to sing. In church, we ought to be a part of that song because in response to him, he's singing. Amen. Scripture on it. Zephaniah 3.17. We're going to spend a minute here. Zephaniah 3.17. Now look up here as quickly as you can. This verse says, The Lord your God in the midst of you is mighty. Yes. 
one translation said he's getting victory after victory for you. Mm-hmm. He's mighty. He will save. He will rejoice over you with joy. Amen. And he'll rest in his love. He will joy over thee with singing. Praise God. Amen. Well, it, now, now literally, that's King James, a little hard to understand sometimes. It literally means Judith, that God is singing songs over us. Yes. So if we respond in kind, we sing songs back to him. Amen. You know, we sing songs, worship. We know worship is something, Lord, I love you. And it can be a song or tune, your own tune you make up or something you've learned that, that ministers to you, a hymn of the church that means something to you. And you begin to worship him. But it's only in response to the fact that he's already singing something over you. And if you'll spend some time walking with you, you'll find out the words of the song. Come on. What he's actually saying over you. Amen. Now, in the easy-to-read version, to bring this out a little bit about singing, it says he will show how much he loves you and how happy he is with you. Praise God. Amen. See, don't ever, don't ever think again that God walks up with the same face that you're carrying right now. Come on. Amen. Here comes God. No, no, don't ever think that. I'm going to show you. I'm going to show you in the Bible. He will show how much he loves you and how happy he is with you. He will laugh and be happy about you. Yes. Amen. So we know now just from this version that God is in this response to us being his, he's happy and laughing at about, about right. us. About us. Amen. Oh, I'm so glad to see you. You know, I mean, John Parker, when he was learning to, to talk more, I mean, he would say things to me like, or especially April called on the cell phone, and, and I have enough trouble hearing on some cell phones. And, and she'd say, John Parker's got something to tell you. And it sounds like this to me. Now, not, not as much now because as he's getting older, but especially back a year ago, John Parker's got something to tell you. And John Parker would say, Papa, he'd say, I don't look off, it's your arms, I'd say, because <laughs> I didn't want him to think I wasn't happy about whatever was making him happy. He said, you know, Paul, I said, oh, man, yeah. Susan, what he's saying? I don't know. You know, I mean, but I'm just, my point is, I'm making a point here, but I'm going to respond. I'm his granddaddy. So I said, what does he say? It don't matter what he said. It's happy to me. That's right. You know, now this, you got to see, this is the way father is. Father doesn't come to me and you solemn. That's right. Amen. Amen. I'm going to prove this to you. So he'll show you how much he loves you, how happy he is with you. He'll laugh and be happy about you. Look at the next translation, English Standard Version, ESV. It says in the last part, it says, He will exalt over you with loud singing. Praise God. Amen. Because I'm going to bring out something about these two words. Now, go back. Here it is on the screen. You see I underlined two words in the verse now, Zephaniah 3.17, back in the King James. Notice this. Both of those words are in... Underline one is translated rejoice, and the last one is joy. Mm-hmm. In some translations, they both are translated joy. In some translations, they're both translated rejoice. But let's read it again. The Lord thy God in the midst of thee is mighty. He will save you. He will, notice the first one, say it with me, rejoice over you with joy. He'll, come on, y'all not saying it. He'll rejoice over you. And then he goes a little bit further, says he'll rest in his love. He will joy over you with singing. Now, the word rejoice and the word joy are two different words in the Hebrew language, the original language they were spoke. Now, you all understand why we go back and talk about Hebrew, Old Testament, Greek, New Testament. is because that goes back to the original language in case we've misinterpreted things over the years or didn't interpret them strong enough. Mm -hmm. For example, the writing or the publishing of the King James Bible, which all of us started out on, and most of us carry it today. That's what I keep with me all the time. That was printed in 1611. Most of them, as far as I know, was translated by men that worked for King James in England. You know, scribes, we would call them. They worked for King James, and they weren't even born again. You know why King James did this? He started his own church because he wanted a divorce. And the Catholic Church wouldn't let him, so he said, I'll just start my own church, and we'll call it the Church of England or the Angelican Church. 
I'll start my own church and get what I want to do. And I'm not justifying it or, or whatever. Or, or I'm just saying that's what he did. And he said, I'll do a big deal. I'll translate the Bible. Well, maybe he did it with the wrong attitude, but it don't matter because that's what put a Bible in mine in your hands. Right. And we're grateful. But my point is he had men translating the Bible for him on assignment that weren't even born again. So they didn't know how to translate everything right. Some things they saw so big, they just thought, I can't put that in the Bible. We'll just have to make it a little bit. And so they put it like this, rejoice over you with joy and rest in your love. You'll joy over him. God joys over us with singing. But when you look at the actual word, now I want, I want to take you to this. Uh, this is big. You just get ready to write it down now. I'm fixing to have to close here. And you're going to say, boy, ah, that was not it. Yeah, this is it. You get ready. It's that last word joy that I want you to talk about. It's, it's the word most, most translations, it's the word in Hebrew, it's the word gil, G-I-L. Now, you ready to hear what God's doing over us? Here it says singing. One translation says singing loudly. The little translation of this word gil, translated joy, means to go round about, round and about, round and about. Got it? Round and about, making circles. It means go round and about and be excited to the point of levity. All right, y'all smarter than I was because I didn't understand the word levity. And I had to look that up. The word levity means humor, laughing at a, at a hard situation, making humorous of it. Better translation means frivolousness. God is frivolously, frivolously going around about laughing with us like, you, like, a, like a granddaddy does with a kid. Wow, praise God. And he's frivolous about it. And you say, God, this is the worst day of my life. Did you hear what the doctor said? And God's like, oh, it's going to be okay. Wow. Roundabout and frivolous. You know, what, what does a granddaddy say? I'm making up something. I'm thinking about my granddaddy who used to whisker us nearly to death. Anybody know that? You get hugged by a man and needed a shave for three weeks. And, you know, he'd whisker us and those kind of things. But I mean, our granddaddy was just good to us. And he'd play with us. He'd get, and you could tell somebody like, like, granddaddy, the man at the store said, I didn't, you know what? And, and say, well, we'll get that old man at the store. Yeah. Right? You know, I mean, you know what I'm saying? Like, we're going to turn this thing. That man in the store ain't nothing. We're going to go talk to him. Right. Amen. My granddaddy used to always give out money. You know, he, he was, man, he had a coal mine, uh, had black lung and coal mine retirement and all that coming in. And he'd just go out to the store and just give everybody money. Grandmother started putting him on a $5 a week allowance. <laughs> Got to where he couldn't get nothing off granddaddy. He didn't have nothing. Grandmother was tough. But frivolous. That's what I want you to see. Now, it literally translates. Somebody ready for this? Yes. The literal word joy, which I just told you, means to go round about. Keep that in mind. Round or about. Excited to levity, which means humorous or frivolousness. Literally translates spin around under the influence of violent emotion. It literally means that what God is doing is He is spinning violently in emotion over us. And how can we respond with, Hallelujah. He's spinning in violent emotion of joy. Do you see that? Now, Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So I thought, well, there's got to be somewhere in the Scripture then that Jesus... Spins around in violent emotion. Wow. And he took me to this scripture, Luke 10, 21. Now, this is when the disciples had just said, hey, the demons are subject to us in our, your name. And we came back and we saw demons run and all this. And Jesus, you know, said something. And in that hour, it says that Jesus rejoiced in the spirit 
And he said, I thank thee, Father, that you've hid these things from the wise and prudent. Remember all that? And I just gave you part. But he said, at that moment, at that hour, Jesus rejoiced in spirit. Now, what does that mean? Well, there's the Greek word for this same thing. And it actually means to exalt or rejoice greatly. Jesus rejoiced greatly. It comes from two Greek words. It means much and jump and leap. Or big jumping. Big leaping. Properly, it means getting so glad that one jumps in celebration. Praise God. Amen. Mm, y'all, y'all missing that. Amen. means to ex- express yourself just big and joyful. Wow. So it says that Jesus literally began to leap for joy. He was so excited. Mm, that doesn't God. sound like the Jesus in most churches. Right. Because he's actually exalting. Uh, excuse me. Let's, let's use a better word. God is actually pushing out all these praises and thanksgivings for us and can't wonder why we don't respond in kind. Mm, okay. Wow. Amen. Say amen or oh me or something. Because I'm fixing to let you go home. So it's important that we see this. Well, let's see it in the Scripture. Now look on the screen. I'm going to call out these Scriptures for those of you that take notes. Write them down as quick as you can. And then we're going to look at them on the screen. Ecclesiastes, please abbreviate. Ecclesiastes 3.4. Jeremiah 31.4. Psalm 30, verse 11. Abbreviate, sweetie. I'll start over. Ecclesiastes 3, 4. Jeremiah 30, 1, 4. Psalm 30, 11. Psalm 149, 3. And Jeremiah 31, 12, and 13. Oh, and add this one. Psalm 150 and verse 4. Okay, you ready to get this and we're about ready to go home. You ready? Amen. Okay, look at them on the screen with me right quick. Ecclesiastes 3, 4 says there is a time to dance. Now, you say, well, there's a time to mourn. Yeah, it says all that, but I'm not dealing with that. I'm saying, have you recognized there's a time to dance? He's dancing, so there's a time to dance. Jeremiah 31, 4 says, God said, I'll build you up again. That's what he's doing. Every time you worship him, he's fixing the garden. I'll build you up again, and you'll take up your timbrels, tambourines, and you'll go out to dance with the joyful. Amen. Praise God. Amen. Now, that's probably just for young people. I don't know. I'll show you a scripture on that in a minute. Psalm 30, verse 11, he says, you, God, David said, you've turned my wailing into dancing. Yeah, amen. God takes a bad moment. If we'll get with his frivolousness, he'll tell us our problem isn't a problem and get us to dancing. Psalm 149, verse 3 says, let them praise his name with dancing and make music to him with timbrel and harp. Amen. Come on, come on. Let him praise his name with dancing and make yes. music to him with timbrel and harp. Jeremiah 31, watch this, and I just gave you part of the verses here, but it says, They will come and shout for joy on the heights of Zion. They will rejoice in the bounty of what the good things the Lord does. The young women will dance and be glad, young men and old as well. Yes. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Amen. That's all of us. Amen. That's right. Will what? Will dance and be glad. Yes. Amen. And then Psalm 150, verse 4 says, Praise him with the timbrel and dancing. Amen. So there's scriptures that say there's a time to dance and there's supposed to be a response, but it's actually in response to the way he's greeting us is with that violent spinning and joyfulness, just as you are. Now, I want to, don't don't turn there. Just jot this down. I'm going to do this very quickly for you. Second Samuel six. This is an entire chapter. You want to go home and read it. Second Samuel six. Now let me show you what's going on here. You'll be very familiar with it. I'll, I'll give you this and quote one more to you and we'll go home. Well, you don't have to go home. You can go to Walmart if you want to. They're open, but you just can't stay here because we're going to lock the doors for a little while. But here's the thing. 2 Samuel 6 is when the Ark of the Covenant, which was the presence of God at that time, was outside of Jerusalem. It had been captured. It had been been taken by another nation. 
David, now that means to David the presence of God. Same way Adam called on God and the presence of God came in a form of wind. Let me tell you something the Lord said to me while we were worshiping this morning. He reminded me of that verse where I was telling you that he called, when Adam would call in worship, God answer in the breeze or the breath of the day, the right. wind or the spirit of the day. Yes, amen. And, and when I was thinking about that while we were worshiping, or some of us were anyway, you know, what, you know what God said to me? He said, James, he said, what do you think that breeze was like? Little breeze? He said, Acts chapter 2, when I came in with the rushing mighty wind, yes. he said, that wasn't yes. the first time I ever entered a place like that. Wow. He said, that's the way I came in the garden every time Adam called. Adam called, he said, God, Daddy, whatever he called, God and God said, boom, and a, thunder, a storm came up. Adam and Eve like, here we go, oh, hair day, you know, because God came in on the scene. Acts three wasn't the Acts three wasn't the first time. Acts two wasn't the first time he came in with a wind of glory like that. He comes every time we call on him like that. That's why in Acts chapter four they would pray and the place was shaken by the presence. Why? Because God ran in the room so fast. Yes, Amen. Oh, I wish you could see that. Having the having in the Old Testament having the tabernacle, excuse me, the Ark of the Covenant outside of Jerusalem meant the presence wasn't there. And so David had a battle, they defeated an army, and they recaptured the Ark of the Covenant and was going to bring it back to Jerusalem so they'd have, now come on now, give me five minutes. They were going to bring it back for the presence of God into Jerusalem, and as they did, they put it on an oxen cart and they began to bring it, and, and an, the oxen stumbled and the cart bumped and the Ark of the Covenant almost bounced off and one of David's good soldiers reached over to steady it and the presence of God killed him. And it wasn't because God was mad at him or anything like that. It's just they weren't handling the presence right. right. Now, this is important. I want you to hear me before you go home. They weren't handling the presence right. It so scared David because he didn't know what was going on. It killed one of my men. So they, they ushered the ark into a man's nearby barn rather than carrying on and said, we got to just put it there. And David said, nobody touch it until we find out how to get it into Jerusalem, get the presence back in right. Yes. And said, nobody yes. touch it. They put it in this man's barn. David went back and began to seek the Lord. Lord, what is wrong? I mean, because he had to, he, obviously they had to go back to the scripture to find out how they were supposed to have right. the priest and the sacrifices and all the stuff that was supposed to be done to do it right. right. Meanwhile, David heard, said, hey, you know where you put that ark, that, the ark, the presence of God in the man's barn? Yeah, the man's farm is prospering like crazy. Wow. Because wow. the blessing, the presence yes. was in there. What do you mean? The cows were having triplets. I don't, I don't know if that, but I'm just saying, it was going crazy. And, and they were having so much blessing on his farm. His farm was just producing, producing. And, and David kept on. And when David knew how to do it right, listen to this now. I'm going to let you go. David said, all right, now we're ready. And they got ready with the ark this time. And they made all kinds of sacrifices. And they had the priest do it right and carry it the way it was supposed to. And David said, this has to be done. And he got out front and he danced all the way in to the presence of Jerusalem to bring the, the king. And the Bible says that, now when you read this, Second Samuel 6, it says David took off his royal garment. We, we say down to his loincloth. It means he was down to his undershirt and, and his sweatpants. Because what he was doing was saying, it doesn't matter that I'm king. It don't matter how glory I am not. And he took that off. And he put that aside and he said, all it matters is that I open my heart before God. And, and he began to worship. And the scripture says that he did a Holy Ghost jig. No, no, no. The Bible says that he worshiped with all his might. Literally means he spent fun in joyful exaltation before God like that. And he did that. Now, now what was interesting about it is all of Israel were lined up like a parade. And here's David outside of his royal garments. And he's dancing like he's crazy. I mean, with all his heart. 
He didn't need a membership to the gym after this. I mean, he put everything into it and it, and it was, and people were watching and said, that's how we get the presence of God is with the dance. And they were learning and they watched as he danced all the way to the door of the temple so they could usher that ark back in the temple. But his wife, Michael, was, was watching from the window, watching, and she was ashamed of him. And the dance embarrassed her. She said to the later, later said to him when he got to the house, said, I'm ashamed of you, David. Said, you, you were dancing vulgar. Now that, that tells us that his dance was really strong. She said, you are vulgar out there and you're underclothes dancing like that before God. And David said, well, sweetheart, I'm going to get more vulgar still. He said, I'm going to give God what he needs. Now the next verse says, read it. The next verse says that from that moment on, her womb was shut and she never had a child all the days of her life. Her barren ability to bear children was shut off because of her embarrassment of the dance. Why? Because if you're embarrassed of the dance, you won't give it. If you don't give it, you're not going to have the presence. And the presence is what brings it. Last scripture, look at Psalm 84. I'm just going to ask you to turn there and we'll, we'll close right here. Psalm 84. See, the presence of God is where production is. Without the presence of God, you can't produce. Wow. Psalm 84, right quickly, and just find it, and we'll, we'll close right here. Now, this is King David talking. You ready? How amiable or how lovely are your tabernacles, O Lord of hosts, your dwelling place, where God dwells. See, that's where the presence is. How beautiful are your tabernacles, O Lord of hosts. Verse 2, my soul longs, yea, even fainteth for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh crieth out for the living God. Crieth out. Yea, now watch this, verse 3, this is where I want to take you. Yea, the sparrow, David says, the little bird, has found a house. And the swallow, a little bird, a nest for herself, where she may lay her young, even thine altars is the place, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. I don't know if you let that happen in you, what I'm trying to show you. When you are embarrassed of the dance and what brings the presence of God, strong worship, mm -hmm. it shuts the womb and closes oh, wow. it down or, or shuts productivity. Wow. You can take that more than just having babies. But here it says, the swallows found where to lay their eggs and have great production. It's in God's presence at the altar. There's something about the temple, which is, represents presence of God. There's something about the presence of God that causes multiplication and increase. Right. Amen. Amen. On man or Amen. animal. Yes. Man or fowl. Whatever it is. And so the more we get into the presence of God, the more productive our lives be. Now, am I telling you to dance in the church this morning? I tell you something. C.S. Lewis, one of the greatest authors that ever lived, probably. You know what C.S. Lewis said? He said, if you can count your steps in dance, he said, you're not dancing yet. Yes. Wow. C.S. Lewis, also a great author. C.S. Lewis, you know, of course, y'all know Narnia and all those that he wrote, and uh, the screw tape letters, all the things. A great author. Y'all look a little bit about it. Here's something he said, and I won't quote this exactly right. I, I tried to find this quote last night, uh, but, uh, but I, I found it, but I didn't get it where I copied it. But anyway, he said it something like this. He said, I want the Psalms to do in me what it did in David and bring out the dance. Mm, wow. Ooh, that's powerful. And he said, as I said a moment ago, he said, if, he said, I want the Psalms to bring out of me what it brought out of David is to bring out the dance. I want, I want to respond and dance. Amen. And so what I am saying to do is get in your private prayer time to start with and begin to say, Lord, if you're spending violently over me, I'm going to greet you in kind and I'm going to spend violently with you. 
I, I, I cannot tell you the number of times in my life that I have had problems in my body, something like that. And I mean, felt like I would just pass out, couldn't, couldn't make it, have some kind of symptoms in my body. I would get into a room private. I'm not telling you you have to do this in public. I'm not ever saying you have to dance in public. It would be something if we did. Yes. But I'm not saying that. I'm not saying you have to. But I, but I've get in a place of privates, wherever, depending on where I'm at, and I'll go up to another empty room, bedroom or something that nobody's in, and I'll put on some worship, and I'll say, all right, Lord, you're spinning, I'm spinning. Now, I don't feel like I could even hardly stand, and I begin to spin, and I spin myself into a moment of just ecstasy with Him, and all symptoms of sickness and disease, weakness, leave your body. There's strength that can be taken in the presence of God. Did you get anything out of that today? All right, stand to your feet, amen. Give the Lord at least, give Him a shout and a praise, amen. Glory. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. You are good. Amen. The Lord is good. Father, we thank you for the word. Every head bowed, every eye closed, nobody looking around just for a minute. We're just, just.